tonight we will be uh, continuing our study of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Um, and in this section, John is describing the spiritual war between God and Satan um, that's been going on forever and how Satan uses deception um, against God's people. So, Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. <laughs> Sorry about that. Still working on that. Um, uh, okay, 14. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak, and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has an understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. But, um, as Michael said, we've been looking at the book of Revelation this semester, and Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And the last couple of weeks, what we've been seeing is that sort of the reason why in literature and in movies there's always this sort of war that's going on between a sense of good and a sense of evil, between light and darkness. Uh, the reason why it feels like there is a battle for what is good and what is evil on the, uh, the floor of your dorm or in your relationships is because there is, in fact, a war going on. It's a spiritual war throughout all of history between God and his people and God's enemy, Satan, but literally between lightness and darkness. And uh, that war has been going on forever and will go on until Jesus returns. And the reason why this is important for us to talk about is because this war affects you, no matter who you are, every single day of your life. Um, and mostly it comes out in the tiny decisions that you make every day. And, uh, you know, the, if you guys have, haven't noticed, there's been a, a battle going on in Iraq the last couple of days for the city of Mosul. Um, between these sort of Iraqi security forces and allied people and, um, and ISIS. And it's been really interesting listening to them talking about all the different strategies and tactics that the Iraqis are using to sort of take back Mosul and all this, the strategies that ISIS has set up in Mosul. Um, Satan, who is God's enemy, as he goes to war against God and his people, uses a lot of tactics. And one of the tactics I want to look at tonight with you is deception. Uh, as weird as this might sound to some ears in the room, there is a Satan who is opposed to God, and there are certain lies that he would like you personally to believe. Um, and hopefully that's enough to, to grab your attention. But what I want to look at tonight is, what is this deception from Satan? What is the lie? Um, and then how does he perpetuate that deception in our lives? Okay, and then I want to see, what, what do we do? If you find yourself to be deceived, what do you, what, how do you respond to that? So, first, what, what is the deception? Well, if you see on your handout, there's actually another passage from the first book of the Bible. This is uh, Satan's sort of craftiness and his, his lies have gone all the way back to the beginning of the world. 
And uh, the first people that existed on the earth uh, were named Adam and Eve. And uh, Satan was there from the very beginning. When the first people showed up, Satan showed up to lie to God's people and try to get them to believe a lie, to deceive them right from the very beginning. If you look on your sheet at Genesis 3, uh, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Actually, that word serpent is the same word that John is using when he says dragon in Revelation. This is the serpent that has been fighting against God from the very beginning. And uh, he comes to the woman. Now, God had told Adam and Eve, and you may be familiar with the story. He put them in this beautiful garden. It was perfect. And he said, hey, you can really do whatever. Just don't eat of the, of the fruit of this one tree. And so the, the serpent comes and he says to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Which isn't what God said, by the way. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay, there's a whole lot we could unpack there, but this is where I want to focus, verse 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, God says you will die, but God's lying to you. Once you eat this fruit, you won't die. He's, God is a liar. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. See what he's doing here? He's saying, Your eyes are closed, and God wants to keep you from having your eyes open. God wants to keep you in the dark. He wants to keep you ignorant. See, there's these very subtle deceptions. And he says, and you will be like God. See, God doesn't want you to be like God. God is very insecure, and he's very power hungry, and he would rather you didn't become like him. And he says, and you will know good and evil. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God is keeping good things from you. There are things... Uh, that you could know, that you need to know, that God doesn't want to tell you. You see how there's these very sort of subtle deceptions. And in short, what the serpent is saying is, look, are you really sure that you can trust God? I mean, yeah, he made you and put you here, but he doesn't sound super trustworthy to me. And if you think about relationships, those of you that have dated, um, see if you can remember a time when the, the person that you were dating first mentioned that they were, like, even remotely attracted to another person. Um, Like, you unquestionably trusted them until this moment that suddenly you're not so sure about them anymore, right? You have many doubts about them. My wife, uh, on occasion, will mention that another guy is cute. And, like, I unquestionably... I mean, my wife, we have three children. Like, she shows no signs of going anywhere, you know. Um... (laughs) But she's like, oh, that guy was cute. And I'm like, so Tuesday, um, like you said you were at Walmart. (laughs) But like, were you at Walmart? Were you alone at Walmart? Um, Because really, our our hearts are so prone. I think everything's cool, just FYI. She says she's at home packing because we're moving to a new house, but... um, who knows? Uh, our hearts are so prone to actually to mistrust that all you really need is a suggestion. Like even a remote inference that something, someone might be, um, not be trustworthy and that's all it takes. So the deception of Satan is, look, you can't really trust God. Okay, he's holding out on you. Now, how is that deception perpetuated? How does Satan sort of push that, per, that deception out into your life? That's when we get back to the Revelation passage. John tells us about this other beast um, called the second beast. It's the beast from the, from the earth. Later on, Revelation calls this person the false prophet. 
This is someone that speaks lies. A prophet is someone that speaks for God. And a false prophet would be someone that speaks lies about God, right? And uh, this, is, this is what Satan knows. This is why he, he employs this false prophet in the world. You were made as a trusting being. You ever like notice that? That like you inherently either trust someone or have trust issues with someone. But there's, you're never sort of benign to trust with a person. Um, you are a trusting creature like you're an eating creature. Like you may have food set in front of you and you go, I'm not really sure about this food. This food seems untrustworthy to me. Um, because I'm pretty sure like you're not supposed to be able to see through the chicken you know, when you're, you're eating it. Um, and so you may choose to not eat that food. You may choose to reject that food. You may not choose to not trust that food. But it doesn't mean that you're just not going to eat food. You're going to find other food to eat. Does that make sense? God created every human being to trust and worship him. And you may choose to not trust him, but you will continue to trust something. You will continue to worship something. And for Satan, he's good if you trust literally anything but God. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you trust something besides God, he is winning. So how does he perpetuate these deceptions? How does he get you to trust something else? Look at verse 13 and 14. This beast, the false prophet, it comes and it performs great signs. Even making fire come down from heaven in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. People are amazed that this false prophet, which is working throughout time, it's not just a single person. It comes and it does really big signs that make people amazed with it. Um, think, think about technology, for, for example. Um, technology is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Some of you guys are nursing majors or going to go in the medical field. And medical advancement in technology is, is incredible. Um, it's a good thing. People should work hard to cure diseases and to um, make people have a better quality of life and to extend life. Um, uh, but even medical advancement, which is a good thing, can deceive us in, in a way. Um, because m- when you go to the hospital and they're able to get you well, you can be deceived into thinking this was a medical thing and God was not involved in it. Does that make sense? That I can see all the very clear, natural ways that I have been healed here and God was sort of irrelevant to the equation. Um, who needs God, right? We, we, we increasingly have a sense that if I get sick or I get hurt, I can get better by doing the right things. We can take care of ourselves. And we sort of have this illusion, I think, that if we keep researching and keep developing things, eventually like, we won't have to die. Um, that we can achieve something like eternal life without God. So that um, the deception comes in, and like, I, I don't... I clearly, I'm, I think my record would show I'm pro-hospital and medicine and doctor and all that stuff. But there can be this subtle deception where we go, um, we have the ability to give and extend and improve life on our own. And so something like prayer becomes, you know, irrelevant or completely unnecessary. That God, who is the giver and sustainer of life, could not be involved it's interesting, there's a recent study that came out in a, as a science journal called Nature. It's basically saying, like, pretty much no matter what we do, 
we will never really be able to make people live past 115 years old. Like, that just seems to be the shelf life of human uh, existence. Um, Which is a good reminder to us that we can't make life eternal on our own. Um, And Satan would like us to trust ourselves to something that's even really good, like medicine. Or think about... um, some of you guys, when you came to college, I don't know, if, was that medical thing a weird example? I'm feeling like it was maybe weird. Um, this one may be less weird. Uh, some of you guys, when you came to college, especially if you came from backgrounds and communities and families that really discouraged premarital sex, when you got to college and you began experimenting sexually, um, for a lot of you, there was a feeling of like, this is really magical. Like, maybe that was just, like, exploring sexuality on the computer or just hooking up. Um, That you go, like, this feels really good. Like, this doesn't feel bad. Like, someone, like, your grandpa somewhere along the way told you, it's going to feel bad or whatever. And you're like, actually, this feels pretty good. Like, um, (laughs) this is nice. Um, (laughs) And so you get a sense... In that moment, you go, God was holding out on me. Like, he was keeping something really good and that feels like magic from me. All these years. And like, why would he ever do that? And so you begin to explore your sexuality and express your sexuality in in, in so many different ways. Um, And can, can I tell you that that's really sort of an immature take on sex because basically what it says is sex is good because it makes me feel pleasure and it dismisses this the reality those of you that have had this is going to sound weird those of you that have had good sex um, because then the reality is that most of you that are having sex you aren't having good sex to be honest um, uh, this is going in a weird direction. Um, but if, if, you, if you've had good sex, you um, have a sense that there is actually something more intimate and true and beautiful and life-giving than like just getting off. And um, saying like God has just been withholding this pleasure from me dismisses this idea that like Using sex the way that God has designed it to be like this lifelong intimacy that grows between two people. Um, there is something so much more deeper in life giving to sex than just you feeling it. Um, but we, we begin to, to sort of think that like God has been withholding good things from me. Therefore, I shouldn't trust him. Um, but here's the question that I keep coming back to in, in, in my life. Those are just some examples of really just how we could easily be deceived into thinking God isn't for me. He doesn't have my best interest at heart. But a question that I ask myself all the time is, if you're deceived about something, do you know it? Um, if, If someone has lied to you and it's been successful, you have no idea that they lied to you. Does that make sense? Like, if you're deceived, there's no way for you to know it. Um, I I was watching an interview with a woman who was a former spy for the United States, and um, she had worked in the Middle East, and it was pretty cool. I mean, she was a CIA spy. It was pretty hard. And um, she was talking, she said, the biggest lesson that she learned as a spy 
is this, that everybody thinks they're the good guy. No matter who you talk to, if someone is fighting, they think they're the good guy. And she said, she said that she was debriefing this Al-Qaeda fighter, and he told her, he said, you know, like, um, Americans, like, you make these movies like Star Wars or Independence Day or Hunger Games where there's, like, this scrappy band of rebels that are standing against a technologically superior force and fighting against them. And he says, but what you fail to realize is you're the Empire and we're Luke and Han. Like, you're the aliens, and we're Will Smith. Now, that, that sounds really weird to us, but the reality is you have two people fighting each other, and they both believe that they're the good guy. Um, we have an amazing ability to be deceived in and of ourselves. Um, uh, if you've ever listened to your own voice on, a, on voicemail, then everyone's, like, groaning. What you will say is, I don't sound like that. Like, do I really sound like that? And the answer is, yes. That's how you sound to every other person in the world except yourself. Um, So the question for us is, if you're deceived, what do you need? Okay, this is is where I want to hone down in for the rest of our time. If you're deceived, if you don't even know what your own voice sounds like, what do you you need? Um, And the first thing that you need is you need a voice from outside yourself. Does that make sense? Like the reason why you can't hear your own voice is because you're literally too close to your own voice. Um, We all desperately need a voice from outside of this sort of deception zone to speak to us. Like, Back to the, your boyfriend or girlfriend said that they thought someone else was attractive. Um, imagine that, that your boyfriend or girlfriend was, in fact, cheating on you, and you didn't know, you were deceived. What you would need is for a friend to come to you and say, I know you don't believe it, but I saw your boyfriend making out with another girl on Sanford Mall, which would be really stupid if you were cheating on your girlfriend, by the way. <laughs> In the basement, in the children's section of the library, let's say. Um, In front of that huge bear. Um, You need a voice from outside the situation to speak to you. And interestingly, the way that God responds to people that are deceived is by giving us a voice from the outside. And it's called the Bible. Okay? That God, who is the only person in this scenario who is not deceived, who is not being deceived by Satan, um, he speaks the truth to us from outside of ourselves. And this is why the Bible says about itself, like in Psalm 119, it says, The word, your word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Because what the, what the psalmist is saying is, Your word shows me how to walk through darkness. Like when I can't see what's in front of me, when I'm being deceived, it shows me the way. God speaks to us in his word from outside of our deception. And um, you might be sitting here thinking, and, and understandably so, yeah, but like the book you're talking about, the Bible, it can't be true because there are things in there that are offensive to me. Like, there are things in the Bible that bother me, and I think bother a lot of people. 
Um, and so it can't be true. How could this be the voice that's going to lead me to the truth? It's a, it's a valid point, and I think that probably a lot of us can resonate with it. Um, but consider this. Every culture that there is um, has flaws. I think we can all probably agree on that. There's no, been, there's no culture throughout history that gets everything right. right. Every culture has blind spots. So if the Bible is what it says to be, which is God speaking, the God who is outside of culture and outside of time, speaking into the world and speaking into cultures, then every culture should in some meaningful way be offended by it. Does that make sense? If every culture is flawed and God is outside of culture, when he speaks, it should bother all of us in some meaningful way. So the fact that all cultures have found parts of the Bible to be offensive is what you should expect for a sort of non-cultural document like this. I mean, it's not non-cultural. God speaks and uses people in cultures to speak to us. Um, But like, I I think the problem for us isn't necessarily that we go, this document is not trustworthy. I think the problem for us is that this document is very uncomfortable for us. It's super uncomfortable for me. I'm like the Bible guy, right? I have REV in in front of my name, and I'm supposed to be comfortable with this. But this thing hurts, man, Um, to be totally honest. Like, when someone tells me my fly is down, or like I just ate it at uh, Chipotle, and there's there's cilantro all in every one of my teeth. Um, Like, that is a voice speaking the truth to me that is uncomfortable for me. And because it requires me to, like, do something. And um, my question for you, no matter where you're coming from tonight, um, is are you willing to be contradicted by God? If he's speaking to you, it will be uncomfortable. And um, are you willing to go, I might be deceived, and that's why this feels uncomfortable to me. And God wants to speak truth to me. So deceived people need a voice from the outside. Just like in the matrix, you don't know you're in the matrix until someone comes and speaks to you, right? Um, we need a voice from the outside. But deceived people also need a reason to trust that voice. And this is where I think maybe a lot of us are tonight. If the friend telling you that your boyfriend is cheating is his ex, you probably are not as prone to believe them, right? You don't feel motivated to believe them because they have an agenda. Um, So do we have a reason to trust God when he comes and speaks to us is the question. Um, I think a really good way to tell whether you can trust somebody is how do they respond when you don't do what, what, how do do they respond when um, you don't do what they want you to do? Does that make sense? Like if someone comes to you and they ask you to do something and you don't do it, how they respond to you tells you a lot about whether you can trust them. Um, Satan responds in verse 15 when people don't do what he wants them to do which is worship him he um, causes them to be slain at the end of verse 15 Uh, those who would not worship the the image of the beast to be slain and then later on he says he puts his a mark on them um, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name and no one can buy things or sell things unless basically they worship Unless you sort of um, say God is irrelevant, uh, you will be made irrelevant, is basically the point that's being made here. Um, Satan kills people that don't worship him, either internally or externally. Jesus dies for people who refuse to worship him. 
If you think about how does Jesus respond to me opposing him, um, Romans 5 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that while you were deceived, um, and while you were opposing Jesus, and refusing to trust him, and refusing to worship him, he went and died for you. Um, Jesus, who calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, rescues deceived people when you are still deceived. You understand that? Like, Anybody here who trusts Jesus or anyone here that will trust Jesus, you understand Jesus died and was raised 2,000 years ago. Like this is a, it's something that's happened way back in history. And that means that he went and did the thing to rescue you before you even committed any of this sin. Um, and, and a powerful example of God rescuing people that are deceived is in the Old Testament book of Hosea. This this. This prophet's writing was very important to me because I was converted when someone was, was preaching about it. I came to faith in Jesus. But there's this guy named Hosea in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. And he marries this woman. Her name is Gomer, which is a really unfortunate name. Um, and she's a prostitute. And he marries her. And they have some kids. And think he's treating her well. He's loving her. At some point, she decides she doesn't like Hosea as much as she likes her old lover's. So she leaves Hosea and their children, and she goes back to her old lovers. And what is amazing and beautiful about the book of Hosea is that the prophet Hosea goes and he finds his wife. And um, instead of berating her, he pays the price to purchase her out of her prostitution. Like, basically what it would take to have this woman as like a prostitute for the rest of her life to buy her out of it so that he can return her home where she can be a wife and a real woman and actually be experienced love and, and, and true faithfulness. And, and you can trust Jesus because he's come to buy you out of you loving other people more than him. Does that make sense? Um, you can trust Jesus because he's true to death. He dies for his enemies because he cares deeply for his enemies. And so when he speaks... We have every motivation to listen to it. So if God is speaking to you in some way tonight from his word, maybe that's just from you reading it on your own. Maybe that's from hearing someone teach it. Maybe that's from talking about it in a community group. Um, And if you're hearing God speak and you are afraid to trust him, look again. He's given himself for you while you were deceived so he could free you from deception. Not so he could deceive you, so that he could give you truth. And um, are you afraid that God is holding out good things from you? Um, be encouraged. Because God has not withheld his own son from you. And how will he not with him give us all things? In a war that is waged in the tiny moments of your Thursday, starting at 9 o'clock, um, may God help you to trust Jesus and trust his word, his word, even while deception swirls around. Let's pray. Um, Father, we're, we're grateful that you speak to us from outside um, 
our, our situation and that sometimes your voice is uncomfortable to us, but we know that we can trust you. Um, and Lord, some of us don't really feel right now like we can trust you and we need your spirit to convince us, to help us to see the beauty of being rescued, uh, to help us to see the beauty of Christ dying for the ungodly while we were ungodly. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Uh, would you spend, send your spirit to work as, as we've heard your word? Would you drive it down deep into us that we might be changed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world.